Welcome to the Four Eyes podcast brought to you by Young OD Connect. We give you a clear view into the new grad optometry world across Canada and the U.S. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Deepan Kar. And I'm Dr. Amrit Bilku. And um, yeah, so we are back. And Deepan, why don't you tell us about your weekend? Because you knew that this intro would be coming and I told you to do <laughs> something interesting. <laughs> So you could talk well, about <laughs> yeah, my weekend was not optometry related at all, unlike your weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I didn't do anything crazy. Just went to a birthday party. It was a fun little house party. I Ooh. learned how to play code names. Have you ever played that game? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of it. It was so much fun. And if people don't know, when Amrit and I were at ICO, we played a game with our friends called was it taboo? Yeah. Taboo or isn't it heads up? Okay. Yeah. There's taboo heads up. And I think there's another name for it. Anyways, we were very competitive during that game and our friends were very competitive when we played that, like it would get pretty aggressive and vicious yeah. um, to the point where we were like, we have to win no matter what friends off if we don't, <laughs> but that's what code names kind of turned into for me. I was like getting really into it. And then I was like, uh Oh, I got to dial it back. I got to go home. And they're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, because I am the undefeated champion right now. You guys cannot beat me. And that's how it's going to be. And that's it. You know what? I really don't realize this, but I do get pretty competitive during board games. Um, Yes. Hello. I'm going (laughs) to cut you off right there because you know what? On our Four Eyes Instagram page, um, in our highlights, you guys should check that out. It's labeled Just Us. Um, There are some stories of our experiences all together um, through ICO. (laughs) And there are like one or two stories of that one night when we had those like minute to win it games. I think Deepon destroyed everybody's eardrums because (laughs) she was screaming so much at all of the team members. Like, come on. Hey, you got to do what you need to do to win okay yeah. she's very very aggressive that day I I'm surprised that police didn't show up to our house <laughs> just to like for like a noise I know thing. and there was only like seven of us in that house yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it sounded like 30 people were in yeah house. hey but when we played taboo you and I okay me we're good together though we, me and Amber were good together our previous hosts Rav and Alex would frustrate us so much because they're too they, chill. Listen, we're very, fun. yes, that was true. They would take so long to get to the answer. We wanted them to get to, whereas Amrit and I would answer within like the first five seconds. You are just as competitive because everyone would be yeah. like, okay, if you put Amrit and Deepon together, they're going to like do that so Madness. quick and win. So I went to vision expo East for the first time. So it was good you know, I'm slowly starting to open up a new practice. And I thought I had an idea of what equipment I was already going to get and purchase. And I had some frame lines in mind for the optical. And then all of a sudden, um, we are working with some consultants who are helping us open our practice. And they're like, you got to go to Vision Expo East. Like Mm -hmm. that's where all the discounts are. That's where you'll get to play around with everything in spur of the moment, um, my business partner and I, we ended up going, it was fun. Um, I really actually only went to expo for one day out of the three (laughs) days because it's in New York. Like I've never been to New York city before. And we have, Oh, I didn't know that. I thought, 
Oh, okay. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've never no, we been. Ne- we never went together. Yeah. Okay. Um, I did my whole gossip girl moment. I sat on the Met steps and, oh. you know, walked around Central Park. The whole convention center was full. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think I'm just getting older now. Like I'm so, I was so over like stimulated. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't even know where to look. I don't know who to talk yeah. to. I don't know where to walk. I got lost. I had to call my business partner to say, wait, where are you? Wait, I'm here in this corner. Wait, take a photo of me. I can't find you. I'm lost. Like literally. I could just imagine Manraj. He's probably like, oh, Amrit. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Um, there's so many frame companies. Um, there's so many booths. Yeah, it was just yeah. very and very bougie. I mean, everyone was dressed up so nice. I know. Like, I saw stories. I mean, I mean, if I haven't made it obvious already, I've also have never been to like Vision yeah. Expo. Every time I see stories of it. I'm just like, I totally get how you, I felt overwhelmed looking at it through Instagram. I was like, holy, this is really, really, really bougie. So it was successful. We did purchase our first piece of equipment that almost made us both cry. (laughs) And um, so we bought an Optos. uh, I was just going to say, are you allowed to say what it is? But you just said it. So, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I won't say the price. I won't say the price because it'll make me cry again. But we did purchase an Optos machine. I love Optos. I'm not getting paid to say that, but, um, you know, it's, it's just a great tool, um, and patient education tool for sure. The first thing my, uh, my partner and I did after we signed the document to purchase the optos, we went to a bar (laughs) we just had a drink in like this really old, dark, dingy, like, you know, dive bar. Oh, the music was so loud. It was pitch black in there. And we just got a drink and we just drank. I don't even think we cheers. I think because we were just like, okay, all right, here comes the bills. <laughs> I had to buy like 15 more pieces of equipment. So um, side note for anyone who's interested in hearing my, you know, personal journey in opening a private practice as a new grad OD or, you know, two to three years out of school um, and working with a business partner, which a lot of people actually have cautionary negative views about it Uh, mine's all positive so if anyone wants to listen to that kind of stuff leave us a comment on instagram or on youtube or email us let us know if you want to hear that journey because i'm definitely willing to share um if people want to listen because that could easily be like a whole series on its own like every step of what we've been through So getting into our episode today, we're really excited to share this interview. Um, We had Dr. Ying Zhao come on our podcast. Um, She's an optometrist practicing in Vancouver, BC, and she's all about myopia control. She has amazing content on Instagram and social media about myopia control. And so we wanted to bring her on to get more of a young OD perspective on, you know, how to approach myopia control how to educate patients on it and how she started to, you know, work in a myopia control heavy practice coming out of school. So without further ado, let's get into the interview and we hope you guys learn a lot like always. And we hope you guys enjoy. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to meet you guys virtually. Yeah. (laughs) My name is Ying and I am an optometrist practicing in Vancouver, BC. 
I started my Instagram page during COVID and that's how I met Amrit on the platform. So if you are thinking about starting your own social media page, I would strongly encourage it because it's a great way to connect with doctors you might not otherwise meet. But anyways, myopia management is something that I am passionate about because I benefited from it as a kid myself. So now that I'm on the other side of the exam room, I want to do better and help change lives. Do you mind giving us an idea of how you ended up in the practice that you're in right now? So when I first graduated in 2016, I actually worked for Lens Crafters. So, you know, it was mostly primary care. You couldn't really do a lot of specialty eye care. Because of that, I actually decided to move back to Canada where, you know, you have a lot more flexibility in choosing where you want to work, how many days you want to work for. So when I started my job search, I was very specific that I wanted to find somewhere that offered myopia management already. Mm-hmm. I feel like especially you're if you're just starting it, you want to already have the equipment and the accounts already set up. It just makes everything really easy. So I basically just Googled myopia control Vancouver. <laughs> and then <laughs> I care was one of the places that showed up and it's actually pretty close to my place. So I just walked in with my resume, just dropped it off. And then luckily, one of the doctors there was actually moving to Calgary. So it was like a really nice transition. And yeah, it just worked out really nicely. Very, very lucky indeed. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, I feel like we've all worked at a Lens Crafters before. So I feel like that's like the starting base for a lot of like new grads. It's like like, a rite of passage. It's like the rite of passage. It's like, which (laughs) Lens Crafters have you been at? There are lens crafters, I think, that would implement like specialty optometry. But yeah, as a new grad coming in, a setting like lens crafters is already so busy, like the high volume of patients that come in. It's kind of like, where do you even fit the time, you know, to like schedule patients or or try a specialty practice in there? It, It would just be so overwhelming, I can imagine. Yeah, it would just be a lot of barriers. Mm hmm. Ying, to get things kind of started, on your Instagram page, you give really great advice on managing expectations in myopia management. So how do you explain the importance and urgency of early intervention myopia control to parents about their children? I think when people hear the word nearsightedness, they just automatically think glasses and not Mm -hmm. eye disease. So that's why we really need to take the extra time to explain myopia as a precursor to eye disease. So first, I usually give them the bad news, like, okay, you have nearsightedness. Um, It's a condition that will get worse with time if we don't do anything. And the worse it gets, the more likely you'll get eye diseases in the future. But the good news is we actually have multiple treatments that are very safe and effective that can help you. Um, So I always make sure to give the parents this myopia management pamphlet that we made that kind of goes over like the important points and what each of the treatments are. This way they can kind of do research at home and they can book another consult to come back and ask more questions. And that's when we kind of discuss which one is the most appropriate treatments for them and do the extra testings if necessary. 
how about you guys? How do you guys make it really concise without, you know, being very complicated? I guess in my area, yeah, like there are a lot of nearsighted kids, but the parents have never been nearsighted. So they don't quite understand initially what that means. So when I explain all of it, it's like a lot of glazed over looks like, okay, what do you mean diseases in the future? How far into the future? Is this like 30 years later or 40 years later? Like, what if I don't do anything about it? Is it really going to make a difference in a year or two? So I feel like the conversation can sometimes turn from like a 10 minute conversation to like almost a 20 to 30 minute conversation. Easily, easily. Explaining everything. (laughs) We have pamphlets also on certain products that we have to explain it more. But um, yeah, sometimes it could take a lot longer than what you think it might usually take. I was going to piggyback on that because I think that's the important aspect of the conversations anyone should have about myopia control Um, The first thing that I say to parents before I start the conversation is everything I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I'm going to email you a summary of this. Um, I don't provide pamphlets. I just personally write, um, have uh, letter templates that I email to the parents. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's the first thing I say, because then the parent can relax a little bit. They don't feel tense. Like, oh my God, I'm going to get all this information thrown at me. I have all these questions. I'm overwhelmed. And Mm -hmm. I think that's important for time management that, you know, especially as young ODs, we get caught up and we want to explain everything so well and make sure we're not rushing patients. But you really, you don't have 40 minutes to sit in the chair and talk about it that day after you've just spent 20 minutes doing the eye exam. It's, it's a everyone's tired the kids yeah. tired yes and that is another great reason why you tell the parents whatever I'm going to tell you right now you can go home and read about it and then come back because their child is running out the exam door or touching the doctor's equipment or crying <laughs> or shouting or literally I had one kid hitting their head against a wall so <laughs> a lot of things going on. So do you do you describe that any differently for you know patients that might start to experience myopia after the age of 18? You know, is it still important to even talk about myopia control treatment options in those patients? Uh, late onset myopia does happen in a small population um, and it's more occupation related. So for example, if you're in medicine, um, engineering, then you might experience more of it. So the good news is they probably won't develop high myopia just because of their age, but every diopter they increase does increase their probability for eye diseases. So I think we should still manage it and try to talk about it, but maybe not as aggressively. So I think, you know, we always talk about the 2020 rule. So that's really easy to do. So always encourage that. And I actually have a few patients who actually decided to go with myopia management. Um, So I think a few of the ones I can think of, they're in ortho K because they just think it's really cool to be glasses free during the day. I would imagine so too. I mean, if, if, cause at that age, um, I'm sure a lot of those patients are also then hearing about LASIK or refractive surgery. Mm-hmm. So if they hear about this, like non-surgical ortho K option. 
I'm not surprised actually. I, I feel like a young adult would kind of lean towards that. And then you you talk about um, how glasses prescriptions is not enough to identify myopia progression and that mm -hmm. axial length measurements are critical in, mon in monitoring myopia. So mm -hmm. you remind us what information does axial length give about myopia progression compared to refractive errors? And then what advice would you give ODs who have, uh, who have to practice myopia management without it? Yeah, good question. So axial length is becoming the gold standard for monitoring myopia, just like how you will always use OCT on a glaucoma patient. Um, the reason why it's so important is because there's an association, well, not an association, but it's very closely related to the refractive error. So mm -hmm. if there is an increase in the refractive error, then usually there's a corresponding change in the axial length. Um, but however, for a very long time, we did manage myopia without the use of axial length. So I think it's all about doing the best you can. Personally, for me, I feel like axial length is very essential if you have kids in Ortho-K because it's really the only way to measure if their myopia has increased or not. Um, but other than that, I think... If you have them on atropine and other modalities, you might be able to get by with refractive error if you really don't have access to an axial length machine. What I did before our office got the axial length machine was there was an ophthalmologist across the street and I would just refer them across the street for their baseline and then like a repeat every six months. So if there's someone like that available in your area, you can definitely consider just referring. How did you set up the billing process for that or payments? Like, did you, you know, did, did the ophthalmologist just take that fee directly? Were you involved in that fee? How did that work out for you? Mm -hmm. So luckily for me, it was already set up when I got there. Mm -hmm. um, so there's this form we would um, get from the ophthalmologist across the street. And there's like a bunch of check boxes of things you want done. Like if you don't have pachymetry, OCT, mm -hmm. um, visual field, they can all do it for you. So you just kind of fill out the patient's info um, and just check whichever box you want. So you would check axial length. And because that is actually billable under MSP, like the provincial healthcare system, um, it will actually be free, free for the patients. Yeah. Um, and then after they get the results, the ophthalmologist's office would fax back the results. And then we would mm -hmm. just have like a phone consult with the patient to go over the numbers. Well, that's hmm. super convenient. That's a great way. Um, and actually, I wanted to ask another question about what you just mentioned. So how has the axial length machine change the way you're doing myopia management now? Because you mentioned you were offering myopia management prior to the machine. So how has that um, enhanced your level of myopia care or your process on how you manage these kids? In addition to the refractive error, um, it's nice if you see the corresponding increase on axial length as well. It just gives you a better idea of how fast the kid is progressing. Mm -hmm. 
um, especially for the ortho K kid, right? Because it all depends on how they wear the lenses. You don't know if it's them or the lens or their prescription. There's so many factors. So definitely very useful for the ortho K kids. Also really good for kids just starting myopia management and they're maybe not sure about it. Because if you take the axial length and you show them on the graph, where they should be for their age but you know they should be here but they're way above it the parents can see visually that mm -hmm. this is not normal and when you talk about myopia management it's all about controlling the length of the eyeball so it doesn't stretch out to cause the eye diseases it just makes more sense for them as well to see the whole picture I also just have one more question about this. I have, I have another, so I feel like we're just going to, <laughs> just going to take one step back. Okay. So say we don't have the, um, axial length measurement device when we're measuring the refractive error, should it be like a cyclo every single time or how should that work? It depends on the kid, but usually I repeat the cyclo every year at their annual eye exam okay. but if at one of the follow-ups there's an increase that you want to confirm then you would want to cyclo as well so it depends okay. on the situation okay just out of curiosity ying have you ever had cases where maybe the child's refractive air has been quite stable but then when you're measuring that axial length do you still see some progression where you think oh maybe it's not as well controlled as it looks, we need to probably dig deeper and add more treatment options. Yeah, so I think for younger kids, they just have a faster physiological elongation. Mm -hmm. So we would expect to see some kind of elongation for kids, for example, under 10, like maybe 0.2 millimeters per year. But mm -hmm. after 10, it should slow down to 0.1 millimeter per year. So if you're still seeing that 0.2 millimeter increase per year, um, but the refractive error is quite stable. I would still consider <clears throat> either changing the treatment a little bit mm -hmm. or monitoring a little bit closely, but maybe because maybe they're on the verge of increasing. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Wow. We just learned so much about axial length. I feel like we could just stop here, call it a <laughs> night. <laughs> That's awesome because, you know, I will say like I, um, you know, I manage myopia control without an axial length machine, you know, I rely on refractive error. And how often do you use Cyclo? That's a hard question for me to answer without getting a lot of people's feathers ruffled. Um, <laughs> I used to Cyclo pretty much every child um, for their first eye exam or like if they're a new patient, just because of the more behavioral way that I'm learning how to practice I don't really cyclo kids that often at all, unless okay. they have like an esotropia or an esophoria or some sort of accommodative dysfunction, uh, something that tells me the cyclo is going to give me more information than what I have without cyclo. Um, so yeah, this could be a whole nother conversation on its own. Did I ruffle your feathers right now? <laughs> 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 Not at all. 
I'm very open-minded because I feel like there's just not a lot we don't we know about myopia management like when I graduated no one was talking about it yeah so it's like a very new area Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, I think for me because I you know I don't I don't have a specialty in like VT and like I'm not like the most educated on myopia control as well Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of like trying to figure out you're trying to test the waters like hey maybe I'll try this I'll try that let's just see what works but I don't like I've only been practicing for three years and one year at this certain practice that I'm at Mm -hmm. so I prescribe these particular kind of glasses or whatever hopefully this kind of works in the long run but you're we're both right right like we just don't know enough yet yeah there's not all the studies and all the different things yeah but yeah Ying, you know what let's go into some other treatment options for myopia control so you know in current research Hoya has the myosmart lenses and Essilor has these Stellis lenses that are now showing you know high percentages of slowing down myopia progression compared to ortho k or even low dose atropine should these new spectacle lenses be our first line of treatment when it comes to myopia control? Or are there other factors that we need to consider before prescribing them? That's one of the most frequently asked questions by parents because they love to ask which one is the best one. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I feel like that's such a hard question to answer because it's not black and white, right? First of all, all these different clinical studies are done by different people and the subjects are different. The duration is different. So, you know, if some studies used exclusively Asian kids and some other studies use kids from more diverse backgrounds and if the results are different how can you say that they're comparable so I always tell the patient the best treatment is the one that they can start on right now and be consistent with whether it is atropine or glasses Um, there is no best treatment there is only the earliest treatment that you can start on Uh, what's the most common treatment at your clinic right now that you guys do I think it's really a mixed basket. I think a lot of people are very intrigued by OrthoK. Yeah. It just sounds really cool, right? You just wear this lens and then in the morning, you just don't have myopia anymore. But they always need to be aware of the side effect of not cleaning the lenses really well and how you really need to wear the lenses every single night. So it's a commitment. So some people, after thinking about it for a bit, they might just go with glasses until they're more ready mm-hmm. or they might be considering atropine and then they hear the side effect and the off-label use then then they might think about it a little bit and go to some other treatments yeah that's true and there's no wrong choice it is truly the choice that gets you started asap let's go for it and just go because at any yeah. point you can always switch the treatment plans right or um, add on top. And actually, um, I guess maybe what percentage of myopia control patients do you tend to um, double up on treatment? So maybe you've added a second option on top of what you're already offering. 
Usually I try to start with just one treatment because you want to see how the kid is responding to it. But obviously if it's not well controlled, then you might want to add a second treatment. So I would say for kids with very low amount of myopia, like minus a quarter, minus a half, I might just start them on atropine because there's no way that they even want to wear glasses full time in those like MyoSmart. So we would start with atropine and if it's not doing a good job, then we might go to glasses or contacts, but then I would kind of taper off on the atropine so I can see how each one individually works. But yeah, um, on the other hand, if somebody started with, let's say, MyoSmart glasses and it's not doing a good job controlling, then I would add an atropine on top of it. So that would be like a combo. So usually two max at a time for me. Speaking of atropine, so despite atropine's use in a large number of clinical trials for myopia control involving hundreds of children, it is still considered an off-label treatment for myopia control, like you said, and there is also no definitive research currently on the side effects of long-term topical atropine use. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I believe still <clears throat> atropine is an off-label use. So before starting the treatment, you always need to go over it and have the parents consent to it. Um, I believe Voluma, this pharmaceutical company, is working on an FDA-approved atropine drop okay. for myopia management. So I think that will be a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then as for side effects, most of my patients tolerate it quite well. But maybe because a lot of my patients are Asian, I think they just don't get as light sensitive as, you know, the Caucasian kids. But yeah, I think one of the things the parents are really concerned about when they start atropine is they want to know how long they will be on the atropine for. Because let's say you get a kid who's eight and then you tell them their prescription won't stabilize until they're 18. The mom is like, so he's going to be on it for 10 years. That's a really long time. Like, are you sure that's safe? So I think we kind of need more information and guidelines on how long we should use it, how long we should start tapering off or reducing the concentration. Um, Yeah, so I think I'm also learning more about that. But the longest kid I've had on atropine is maybe four years mm-hmm. and I'm slowly reducing the concentration to see if there's any rebound okay mm-hmm. what's the standard concentration that you start with or that you begin with I think it's usually between a 0.02 mm-hmm. to a 0.05 percent mm-hmm. depending on their risk factors and if it's like a combination therapy Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't go any lower to like 0.01. I was just going to ask, you were talking about risk factors for atropine. Can you talk a little bit more about like what you think, what risk factors you think about before prescribing atropine? Oh, yeah. I think I was talking about the risk factors for myopia, like high myopia. Like if there's like both parents in the family and then their age of onset is like really young they don't get a lot of outdoor time, um, axial length is already, already really long, then I would definitely be more aggressive on the concentration. Yeah. Okay. And then Ying, we're going to get to my favorite question <laughs> because I think off the record, we already talked about this a little bit, but what do you think about alternative approaches to myopia control treatment 
I guess specifically more focusing on the binocular vision component of myopia onset and progression or any behavioral treatments that are out there currently? I don't know too much about it, to be honest. Um, I feel like I'm trained very traditionally on myopia management. So I would say since myopia is very multifactorial, obviously, if you add BV into the mix, it's going to have some kind of effect. Mm -hmm. um, so I would think it's a very valid thing to have some of the kids do BV at the same time as doing myopia management. I actually remember one of my first kids for the MySight contacts. I was so excited to fit this kid in the MySight. I was like hyping up the lens, saying all these great things about it. And then when he finally put it on, he was not excited. I was like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And he was like, I can't see up close. And then I realized I was so excited. I didn't check for accommodations. So yeah. everything so blurry for him. <laughs> my first lesson from my site like oh my god yeah. you really have to check the bv before you start the treatment yes. but um yeah we eventually referred him to a bv clinic to do vt at the same time nice myopia management but i kind of lost him to follow up because they moved back to china for oh. during covid time i think so i don't really know what happened with him what you just said, that's a great point. And there's multiple reasons of why myopia occurs. And I usually, um, I bring in that behavioral aspect when I do myopia control in my exam room, because I tell parents, let's put myopia into, you know, three categories. One, genetics, right? That's something we can't really fight. That's something I can't really change or the patient can't change but there's still some options out there to slow down as much as we can, trying to fight those genetics as much as possible. Then there's behaviors and our environment, right? So how much outdoor time are we getting? How much time are we spending on reading, coloring, drawing, playing with tiny Legos, making those little Star Wars, you know, miniature models. Like that takes a lot of accommodation to stare at those Legos all day. Or, you know, how much are we playing on the iPad? And then also any medications. Always remember if they're on any medications, um, especially young kids are, are on antipsychotic medications for mental health disorders. Make sure that we know if myopia is being triggered by any of that. And so when you just really add all these combinations of therapies, I think it's only going to benefit the patient if you add that BV aspect even if they're in a Stellis lens or they're doing the ortho K or they're on atropine drops. Um, you know, I think accommodation is not always, but most of the time playing a little role in our myopic progression. And so we always got to, you know, keep that in mind. And, and if their accommodative status is functioning well, after you've given them some VT or some, you know, um, accommodative help in their glasses, they're only going to respond better to that myopia treatment that you're giving them, especially soft multifocal lenses. <laughs> yeah. So we're almost getting to the end here, Ying. <laughs> so I'm glad you have Already? Yeah. <laughs> um, can you tell us your thoughts about any new and upcoming technologies for myopia control? Um, I think on your uh, Instagram, you 
talked about J&J's new uh, myopia control soft contact lens, the Ability One Day lenses. What are your thoughts on those? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love learning about new technology and just talking about it to the patients. I think just the amount of new treatments that came out recently, recently really speaks volumes to this growing area, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the J&J Ability One Day soft contacts became available in Canada near the end of last year. So I have a few patients wearing them already. Um, so far, they're really liking it. And I think the Ability Lens is marketed to have better comfort mm -hmm. and a stronger peripheral defocus. I think they actually say a plus seven, which is really Ooh. high. <laughs> yeah, although it's off axis, yeah. so they won't actually, it shouldn't affect their BV, I don't no. think. Actually, one interesting thing about the ability one day is there's a very small central plus 10 area, like very, very tiny, that's Ooh. supposed to mimic uh, reduced contrast, kind of like what we get in the my size spectacles. So it's yeah. kind of like combining both contrast and peripheral defocus which is really interesting yeah it's pretty good however the clinical study only lasted six months which is really short oh. yeah so i think it just needs to be longer to give us a better picture mm -hmm. but yeah i've only had my patients in ability for three months mm -hmm. so i don't really know how well they work yet mm -hmm. um Ying, do you have any last minute advice for especially new ODs who are trying to make myopia control um, into a specialty for them, or if they want to bring that specialty into a practice? Do you have any advice for them? Mm -hmm. And us. <laughs> and us. <laughs> For sure. So I really fell in love with myopia management because I really believe in it and it feels very meaningful to make a difference in those kids' lives. Mm -hmm. So if you're also ready to join the club and don't know where to start, here are some of my tips. One is try to find a practice that already offers this service because when you have the equipment and the accounts all set up, it really reduces the barrier to entry. And then number two, attend Vision by Design Conference. I didn't know much about OrthoK until I attended that conference. It has a really great boot camp session that really goes over the in and outs of OrthoK. It just made me feel a lot more confident fitting OrthoK after attending the conference. And then also just don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, your mentors and your lab consultants will be your best allies in this journey. And also my DMs are always open if you have any questions. No, we'll definitely be sending you DMs because I'm sure Deepon is ready to start myopia control now. <laughs> no, I'm actually thinking about this axial measurement device. I'm trying to think yeah. of which ophthalmologist is near us that wants to, that we can refer people over to. Yeah. Near, oh, near what if find cataract surgeons? I feel like they always have it because mm -hmm. they need it for cataract yeah. surgery. Yeah. So I'm trying to think like which one's closest to us where they would, would like to uh, collaborate. <laughs> I mean, the hard part in the GTA would be to find an ophthalmologist where the child doesn't have to wait four months for an appointment to get, get yes. a seal length scan. Cause like it's ophthalmology, it, that would be tough is to find an office that has that availability kind of like ready to go for your, your patients when they need that scan done. 
Are the ophthalmologist in Ontario and um, Calgary also very against Ortho K? There are in Calgary uh, ophthalmologists that are for it and advocate for it. Um, and then I think there's other ophthalmologists who don't like they're much older and they're like, I don't really care, whatever doesn't matter. Okay. There's okay. not like a strong relationship between optometry and ophthalmology in Calgary, but the newer ophthalmologists that are now coming in, um, I think they want a better relationship because they realize like, where am I getting my cataract referrals? Right. So it's like, uh, I think we should befriend some of the optometrists here. I haven't heard of that in Ontario. Now, I don't, again, I don't offer ortho K, so I don't know. Maybe there is some drama behind the scenes between ODs and OMDs about it specifically. But I don't know. I think the for only practicing in Ontario for two years now, you can really tell that there's no strong relationship in general with ophthalmology and optometry. No, how's BC? Like, is it the, yeah. is it worse there or about the same or? I feel like BC is more similar to Ontario. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? They're not very against everything we do. Like we still get referrals from ophthalmologists. Like we get our patients back and they say nice things about us, but they are very against ortho K. But maybe here, the ophthalmologists are not really familiar with the concept. So it sounds really scary to them. I think that's just what it is. I think ophthalmology just doesn't touch any sort of specialty that optometry offers. So if they just don't touch it, they just kind of don't know. And then they're just like, I don't suggest this because I don't know what it is. <laughs> Me and you, Ying, we're just... <laughs> no! Just gonna do our You're own so thing. You're opening your own practice. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know what? Yeah, I think with with myopia control, like you know what, the minute those patients come into your practice, and they see that you're actually addressing their issue and monitoring them every three to six months, they're seeing results. They know that you're actually putting like your effort and energy into caring for them. Like you don't need a public statement about myopia control. You don't need to prove to OMDs that it works. Like you're going to prove it to your patients and that's going to keep them coming in the door and word of mouth referral. I've really seen it and I've learned that's mm -hmm. the most important word of mouth referral is all you need. And I think yeah. that's what motivated me to open my own practice because I realize that I have that confidence now that patients will come to my door because they know how I treat them. They know what approach I'm taking in their treatment options and they, they'll appreciate that. Yeah, it's so true. Like you just kind of have like a natural filter system, like those who appreciate your service, yeah. they will come to you regardless. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Zhao, for coming on our podcast. Um, do you mind just sharing your social media page or any other information so that people can contact you and learn more from you? Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. Hopefully we get to meet in person. Yeah. My Instagram handle is at myopia control doc. And um, yeah, DM me if you have any questions. Awesome. Thanks everyone for listening to four eyes, the podcast series brought to you by young OD connect. 
If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram or YouTube at Four Eyes Optom for more content. You can also give us a rating and share your thoughts on this episode and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.